you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Joel chapter 2, we've spent a lot of time talking about the importance of lamenting and repenting as we've been doing this series on Joel. Uh, and these are two important and, and necessary responses as Christians because we live in a fallen world and we still wrestle with fallen flesh. Sin is part of our lives. We can't avoid it, we can't escape it, and God knows this, so He's given us these two great gifts, the gift of repentance, the gift of lamenting. Essen has done a great job reminding us about these gifts. Lamenting is how we respond to the fallenness and brokenness that's in the world around us, and repentance is how we respond to the fallenness and brokenness that is within us. Uh, And Jesus is the one that makes both of these possible. Without Him, we could not repent. We'd be left in shame and with guilt. Jesus is also the one that enables us to lament. Without him, we could not lament. We'd be left with just complaining and and grumbling against the Lord. However, because of God's mercy, we have Jesus, and through him we can repent. Jesus takes away the brokenness that is within us. And through Jesus, we can also lament. He is also taking away the brokenness that is in the world around us. And this is all good news. But we do struggle at times to believe that that's actually true, don't we? Why? It's because all of us still see and experience brokenness in profound ways. It could be because of the death of a loved one. It could be because of sickness. It could be because of broken relationships. It could be because of conflict that we see, such as the one in Ukraine right now. Brokenness is all around us. But this will not always be the case. Because Jesus has promised to finish what he started. And the passage before us this morning reminds us of that promise. So I'd ask you to stand in honor of God's word. And I'll read for us verses 28 through 32 of chapter 2. This is the word of the Lord. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we do thank you for this passage uh, as we are reminded of of future blessings and promises that the great and awesome day of the Lord is coming. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to not only hear these words, but to understand them. And Lord, we pray that through this time that we might see Jesus more clearly and that we might understand how great our salvation is through him. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And so last week we saw that God heard the cries of his people and he took pity upon them and upon the land. He promised to restore his people. He promised to remove their enemies and to provide abundant rain for them. Uh, He promised that his people would be greatly blessed and live in a land that's full of plenty that his people would enjoy a full recovery of everything that they had lost, that they would enjoy physical blessings once again. This promise not only pointed to 
their immediate future, but it also foreshadowed something much greater. There would come a day when God's people would be blessed in every way. There's coming a day when God's people will no longer experience any form of hunger or want or struggle or hardship. There's coming a day when the effects of the fall will be no more. Now, this would not only be a blessing to God's people, but it would bless all of creation. Joel's prophecy continues uh, this promise of blessing. However, Joel is now turning his attention from physical blessings to spiritual blessings. You see, we are not just physical creatures. We are spiritual people. And God cares about you both physically and spiritually. And that brings us to verses 28 and 29. So let me read those for us again. It says, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. The healing of the land, the providing of rain, the overflowing blessings promised to God's people are all signs that they still belong to him. They're signs that he is their God and that they are his people. They are signs that God is with them, that he is present with them. However, there's a greater manifestation of his presence to come. And that is what we see here. God promises to pour out his spirit upon his people. This is new. This is different. The Holy Spirit has always been involved in the lives of God's people. Uh, he, He works regeneration in their hearts. He enables them to be able to call upon the Lord in the first place. And, and the Holy Spirit would occasionally even be poured out in power, but it would always be poured out on, just a, on select individuals for a p- period of time. Typically, the Spirit would be given to the kings or the prophets or the judges or the priests to equip them to accomplish a particular task uh, throughout the redemptive history of his people. But look at what Joel says now. God will pour out his Spirit on all flesh. The Spirit will be poured out on sons and daughters. The Spirit will be poured out on young and old. He'll be given to male and female servants. The Spirit will not be reserved for a select few. He will not only be given to the elite among Israel. He'll be poured out upon everyone without distinction. Now I need to be clear here. Joel is not a universalist. He is not saying that the Holy Spirit is going to be given to everybody in power regardless of who they are or what they believe. This prophecy, this promise applies to the covenant community. God is going to pour out His Spirit and power upon every person that belongs to Him, regardless of their sex, their race, their background, their class. And that's actually a radical concept during the days of Joel. There's a common prayer that was prayed by Jewish men that went something like this. I thank you, God, that I was not born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. You see, foreigners, slaves, and women were all looked down upon in that culture. And yet God promises to pour His Spirit out on them. This is a foreshadowing of what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to destroy all that divides us. He came to tear down all barriers that separate us. Jesus' kingdom will know no equal. Joel's prophecy not only shows us how the scope of the Spirit's blessing will be expanded from a select few to all of God's elect, 
But it also shows us how the pouring out of the Spirit will be expanded even in its magnitude. There's a parallel here in uh, verses 28 to what we read last week in verse 23, which is when he promises the pouring out of the rain. You see, God's people have been experiencing drought and famine. The land was dry and desolate. And as you can imagine, the result of that is that the people were in despair. And God promised to bring it into that by healing the land, by, by pouring out abundant rain upon the land and upon the people. Well, not only were God's people living in a physical drought, but they were also experiencing a spiritual drought. And God is promising to bring an end to that as well. He will abundantly pour out His Spirit among His people. Matthew Henry describes it this way, We often read in the Old Testament of the Spirit of the Lord coming in drops, as it were, upon the judges and prophets whom God raised up for extraordinary services. But now the Spirit shall be poured out plentifully in a full stream. So God's people are not only going to receive water in abundance, but they are also going to receive the living water. They're going to receive the Holy Spirit in abundance. So Joel is, Joel is teaching us that the scope of the Holy Spirit, the blessing of the Holy Spirit will expand greatly, but also the magnitude of this blessing will expand greatly. And what is the result of this? What's going to happen when the Spirit is poured out upon His people? Well, God's people will prophesy, they'll dream dreams, they'll see visions. Prophecy, dreams, and visions, these were all legitimate ways that God spoke to His people. They were channels for His revelation. And these channels typically were reserved for a select few. God spoke primarily to His people through prophets. And let us consider for a moment who exactly was a prophet. A prophet was the mouthpiece of God. It was somebody who was, who was oriented towards God and His Word. They were God's primary instrument for proclaiming His Word. And they could not fulfill their role without the Holy Spirit. So God poured out His Holy Spirit upon the prophets, enabled them to act as His agents and to speak His Word to His people. And it was a special office. The prophets had a unique and, and, and special relationship to God. Matter of fact, if you read back in Numbers chapter 11... You read about Moses just longing for this day when all of God's people would be prophets. He longs for this day when all of God's people would have the Spirit in them. And now we read here in Joel that God has promised to, to answer that prayer of Moses. He's saying that this day will come. All of God's people will have the Holy Spirit poured out upon them. They will all be prophets. Not in the sense that we will be able to speak new revelation from God, but in the sense that we will be reoriented towards God. That we will be able to hear His voice through His Word, that we'll be able to know Him deeply and personally. And that we will be equipped to proclaim His glory to, to others. And here's the amazing thing. This day has already come. We read about this in Acts 2 when we, talk, when we read about the Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. If you remember, Jesus has just ascended to heaven and he's at the right hand of his Father. And his disciples are waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then we read in verses 2 through 4 this. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And then the disciples immediately began to proclaim the gospel in many different languages to many different people. And many came to know and trust in Jesus on that day. And in the midst of that, Peter stood among them and he preached a sermon. And part of that sermon is he read this passage out of Joel. And he said, today this has been fulfilled. God's promise to pour out his people, God's promise to pour out his Holy Spirit on his people has come. It has been fulfilled. Pentecost is the final step of Jesus' inauguration as king. He's ascended to the right hand of God the Father, which is the place of honor and authority and glory. And from there, he pours out his Holy Spirit upon the church. Jesus is ruling and reigning now. He's, He's doing this from his throne in heaven. But he has not left us alone. He has given us his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit equips us and enables us to accomplish our mission and our purpose. The Holy Spirit is a royal gift given to us by our King. And it is given to every one of His followers without distinction and without prejudice. And it's important for us to recognize that this is a gift that none of us deserve. We did not earn this. It was given to us freely by our King. And we can accomplish nothing without this gift. You see, it is the Holy Spirit that enables us to repent, to believe, to pray, to serve God. Without the Spirit, we cannot do the will of God. But with the Spirit, we've been given everything that we need to accomplish everything that we are called to do. Do you actually believe that? Whatever God is calling you to do, you can do it because you have the Holy Spirit. Now, you may be here thinking, well, I'm, I'm too weak or weary to do the things God is asking me to do. Or maybe you think, I, I just don't have what it takes. I'm not smart enough. I don't know what to say. I don't have the skills to do what God is calling me to do. And if you ever believe that, you're right. You don't. You don't have within yourself the skills, the knowledge. You don't have what you need to to accomplish what God is asking you to do apart from the Spirit. You can't accomplish God's will in your own strength. You can't accomplish God's will with your own wisdom and knowledge. But you don't have to. You've been given the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has been poured out upon you in power the moment you believed in Jesus. And therefore, you have what you need to do what God expects. And it doesn't matter if you're a male or female. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter what your gifts are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your race is. If you've trusted in Jesus, then you have been given the Holy Spirit and you've been given Him in power. Jesus is with you. His Spirit is upon you. Therefore, there is nothing that you cannot do that God calls you to do. And what is it that we're primarily called to do? We are called to proclaim the glory of God. We are called to declare all that Jesus has done. And so in that sense, we are prophets. Because we declare God and and what he's done through his son, Jesus. Pentecost marks the inauguration of Jesus as king. But it also marks the beginning of the end. The New Testament reminds us often that we are living in the last days, that we are living in in the the final days. 
These are the days between the two advents of Jesus. Jesus came the first time. This is what we celebrate during Christmas. He came the first time in humility and weakness. He came to sacrifice himself upon the cross and to make atonement for our sins. He came to establish his kingdom and to establish a new covenant in his blood. And he was successful in all of these endeavors. The resurrection is a testimony to that fact that his gift was acceptable, that his sacrifice worked. And he ascended to heaven, marking the end of his first coming and the beginning of this new age, these last days that we now live in. And this new age began with great power and wonder and glory at Pentecost when Jesus poured out his spirit among his people. And Jesus continues to pour out his spirit upon the church, equipping us to do all that's required of us, equipping us to do the work that is expected of us during this time. But we also need to acknowledge that this age, this age in which we live, will not continue forever because Jesus has promised to return. And that's where we go in verses 30 and 31. When we read, I will show wonders in the heavens on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Jesus came the first time in weakness and humiliation. But when he returns, he's going to come in power and glory. This is what is known as the great and awesome day of the Lord. When Jesus comes, all will break loose at once. And we get a small glimpse of that here in these verses. Fire and smoke, they typically represent the presence of God, and more specifically, they represent His holiness and His justice and His glory. And this helps us understand why Jesus has promised to come back. Because what is Jesus coming to do? Why has Jesus promised to return? That is an extremely important question. Jesus is not coming back in peace. He's not coming back to redeem everybody. No. Jesus is coming back as the divine warrior. He's coming back to finally and fully defeat all of his enemies. He's coming back in holiness and in judgment. He's coming to judge everyone who does not belong to him. And there will be nowhere to hide, there will be no escaping. Now one person who does not belong to Jesus will go unpunished. He's also coming in to usher in the new coming back to usher in the new heavens and new earth. His coming is going to affect all of creation. That's why Joel mentions heaven and earth. He mentions the sun and the moon. There will be nothing that is untouched by his second coming. Nothing's going to be spared from him coming. Jesus is going to return to defeat and destroy all that has fallen. He's coming to undo everything that has been touched by sin. And that is why creation itself is groaning for this day. We read about that in Romans 8. Now, we we don't like to think about Jesus in this way, do we? We like to focus on his love and his compassion, and we need to. Jesus is full of love and full of compassion. But Jesus is also holy. And he will not let sin reign forever. This passage is a promise that that day is coming when Jesus will return and bring a final end to all sin. The guilty will be punished and the righteous will be delivered. And this is God's grace. It is because of his grace that evil will not reign unchecked forever. 
Jesus will bring an end to all evil. And this is something that we all should long to see happen. But this passage is also grace because it's given as a warning. God does not hide from us what the future holds. He's very clear that Jesus will return, and he's very clear about what's going to happen when Jesus returns. That he will come to judge the living and the dead. That every one of us will have to face the judgment seat of Christ. And you have no hope on that day if you do not know and follow Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you are not sure about your relationship with the Lord, if you're here this morning and and you're you're not trusting Jesus, you've not submitted to him as your king, then I ask you that today be the day that you call upon him, that you come to Jesus, because he is your only hope. So are you prepared for the great and awesome day of the Lord? This passage is meant to be a wake-up call, meant to strike fear into our hearts. Are we ready for Jesus' return? So how can we be ready? Well, that brings us to verse 32. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The day of the Lord is, is, it will be terrible. We can't even fathom how awful that day will be. However, regardless of how terrible that day will be, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered. We will be saved. God's people, you do not have to fear that day. Zephaniah reminds us of this. He says, all believers will be hidden on, that day, on the day of Yahweh's wrath. How is that possible? Well, look at the end of the verse. It says, all the, you know, those who escape, those who survive, will be those whom the Lord calls. So all whom the Lord calls will be the ones that call upon the name of the Lord. And how does he save us? How does he accomplish this? It's through Jesus alone. You see, if you belong to Jesus, if you are His, He has already suffered this great and awesome day of the Lord on your behalf. He took your sins upon Himself and He made payment for them upon the cross. He had the holy wrath of God poured out upon Him, the holy wrath that you and I deserved. He had it poured out upon Him instead of us. Jesus was judged in your place. And therefore, therefore you now stand before God as innocent and righteous. You are no longer his enemies, but you are his children. This is what Table Talk Magazine said about this verse. It says, the Lord protects us from his his final wrath by clothing us in the perfect righteousness of Christ, which means he can pass over us in his eternal wrath and provide us the greatest restoration of all in the new heaven and earth. This is the only safety from his eternal judgment that God provides. Our strong tower is the perfect righteousness of Christ. Jesus is your refuge. He is your only hope. Are you resting in him? Are you following him? Because if you are, then the great and awesome day of the Lord is not a day for you to fear. It is a day for us to long for. Because on that day, we will see Jesus in all of his glory. We will see him defeat all of his enemies. And we will see his people fully vindicated. On that day, justice will prevail. Every sin will be accounted for. If you belong to Jesus, then Jesus paid for that sin. But if you don't belong to him, then you will have to pay for your sin. 
Because God is just and He will not let sin go unpunished. He will not let evil reign unchecked, unchecked forever. We get a glimpse of this in the, in the next chapter, in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 3. I'm going to read that for us. We see that God will bring justice upon all of His enemies, those who stand against His people. It says, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there. On behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. If you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples... You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. The Lord will judge all the nations through his Son. Justice will prevail. His people will be vindicated. That is what awaits us when Jesus returns. But until that day comes, we have work to do. You have been given the Holy Spirit. He equips you to proclaim the good news that Jesus came to save sinners. And despite everything that's happening, we have hope. Charles Spurgeon says this, In the worst times that can ever happen, there is still salvation for men. When day turns to night and life becomes death and the staff or life is broken and the hope of man has fled still remains in God and the person of his dear son deliverance to all those who call upon the name of the Lord. Now you may be here this morning and you may be dealing with things that none of us know or understand. You may be dealing with unimaginable difficulty and pain. You may be in the midst of deep darkness and despair. But in Jesus, you have hope. Jesus has come and he's promised to return. His enemies will fall. And you, his people, will be vindicated. And you are not alone. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You are never alone. Jesus is with you. And you have a glorious future ahead of you. And the more we understand that, the more that makes all the difference in the world. There was a small town in the middle of the 20th century called Flagstaff. This is Flagstaff, Maine. Probably not the Flagstaff you know. It was a prosperous little town, but they received really bad news one day, and that's this, that the government decided that they were going to um, they needed to expand Flagstaff Lake, and to do, to do that, they had to put a dam in the Dead River. And as a result of that, uh, their town was going to be submerged underwater. And so you can imagine what life was like in that town after that news hit them. You know, as weeks, as weeks got closer and closer to the date when this was going to happen, you know, people stopped working on their yards. People, if they had minor repairs of their homes, they just ignored them. People quit their jobs. People started to move away from this town. It quickly became a ghost town. Why? 
It's because they knew what their future held. Their future was destruction. And therefore, there was nothing for them to do. There was no hope in that town. Well, brothers and sisters, we too know our future. And our future is not destruction. It is deliverance. God will deliver you through His Son. And therefore, don't don't give up. You have hope. And yes, you still have work to do, but you've been given the Holy Spirit to accomplish that work. So go in the power of the Spirit, proclaiming the glory of Christ to a world that desperately needs to know Him. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we do thank You for this good but difficult news. For we do know that Jesus has promised to return and we do long for that day, but we also know that when He comes, all who don't know and trust in Him will be judged. And so Lord, I pray that If there's anyone here this morning that does not know Jesus, I pray that today would be the day. Today would be the day that you opened our hearts and minds that they would repent and believe upon him. And Lord, for those of us who already know Jesus and belong to him, I pray that you would remind us that we are not alone, that we've been given your Holy Spirit, that we have all that we need to accomplish anything that you call us to do. I pray that you would help us have a greater understanding of the hope that we have in Christ that all of our sins have been paid for, that we are now righteous before your eyes and that we are now your precious children. Lord, I also pray that you'd remind us regularly that yes, we see fallenness and brokenness all around us, but that will come to an end when Jesus returns. What hope that provides. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.